This is Anthony Pascal. And this is Lori Elster, and this is the All Access Star Trek podcast. Today we have for you part two of our epic interview with Star Trek Picard season three showrunner Terry Metalis. So I'm sure a lot of you are looking forward to that. But before we do that, we're going to start with the news and we're going to dive right in with what is happening in Las Vegas for the 56-year mission. So Tony, you interviewed Gary Berman, who is one of the guys who runs the convention that we're all going to next week. So what were the highlights of your conversation? Gary's very excited about the new venue, which is Bally's. It's like, actually, they're only going to do this for one year. Being on the Strip really, I think, is fun for them, I guess, because the Rio is off the Strip. So there's just a lot more opportunities for fans, different places they could go, bars, restaurants, etc., right on the strip the show is sold out and he said he listened to our podcast last week and he said we kind of got it right you know that it was just there's pent-up demand and it is smaller because they only sell as many seats as they've got in the main room and the main room is smaller they're going to try to add some seats but he said it's not going to be a lot but they you know they may have some other stuff for sale the COVID rules are basically the same as they were last year. I was really happy to see that, I gotta be honest. Yeah, masks are still required, vaccinations and or tests are required. I don't know if they're gonna still do the glass between people. Did you read Yeah, I, I did read that. So because they had that on the site, I think. So there's I think there's not gonna be the glass. You can take your mask off for photos, but they but don't touch. They said don't expect to touch or hug. And I mean, their general advice was also like, these people don't know you, so you shouldn't be doing that anyway. But right, uh, right? which is, I think, good advice generally. But yes, I think they're taking the glass away. So you can't reenact Wrath of Khan scene with your <laughs> Star Trek celebrity. <laughs> <laughs> and they have a lot of people booked. Yeah. I mean, Gary says that this is their best guest list, like in years um, that they've ever had. Um, he, he and and you know he attributes that to that there's so many new shows and you know, he thinks one of the reasons why the show is doing so well this year is because there's so many new shows and he's really excited about Strange New Worlds and he thinks that's bringing in new people as well and they they have a lot of the Strange New Worlds cast there Anson Rebecca Ethan Peck Celia Jess there might be more I think he said they were working on someone else as well. Uh, but you know, there, there's some rare guests this year. Uh, he said they always try for Quinto and they got him this year. He hasn't been there for a long time. I think I was there the last time he was there with Leonard. Wow. I think they had Leonard him and the kid who played Spock in the first movie. Yeah. Christine just posted a picture of that in our Slack actually. Cause she was there. <laughs> yeah. That was like 2009. I mean, it was, that was a long time ago. Yeah. I didn't even know you guys, man. <laughs> there's some interesting get um, ron perlman's gonna be there the viceroy but he's obviously you know been in so many genre things but there's kind of some deep cut guests this year one of whom is andy uh kindred uh she was gene coon's assistant and if you don't know gene coon was the second most important gene on star trek the original series <laughs> some people would argue the most important yeah. gene you could make an argument for that. She was right in the thick of it. Like she knew everything that was going on. She was right there for all of the drama of original series. And she's she's a legend. She's got stories to tell. And then beyond the panels, um, there's some, you know, fun stuff happening. Tignatar is doing stand up, which I'm looking forward to. <laughs> and Robert Picardo is doing this kind of two man show with this buddy of his, which is supposedly really hilarious so yeah so it all adds up to uh and they're doing tributes to montabon and nichelle they're going to be showing footage of both of them at past conventions and nichelle's been doing conventions with these guys for decades and they've got all this great footage of her so that that is probably going to be pretty cool and i think they said the uh, roddenberry company is also bringing some nichelle stuff yeah, for displays around the convention, yeah. um, you know, because there's these little there's these little places you could take photos and do things around the convention. There, there's going to be a very special panel on Thursday uh, from TrekMovie.com doing a State of Star Trek panel. I'm going to be on it uh, and moder moderating. You're going to be there. Kayla and Matt, editors and ShuttlePod members, I think are going to be the other two. I think they're limiting us to four people because we might have even had more. But please come to that. It's at Thursday at 2.15. We don't know which room. There's, I don't think they're putting us on the main stage. No, um, I don't think they are. 
<laughs> Delightful so. as we are, we're not main stage material. <laughs> yes, exactly. We will not be signing. Uh, people are not asking for autographs or doing photo ops with this. Um, I don't believe. Um, but no, but it will be fun. So. I, w- I will have all access Star Trek podcast stickers to give out. Tony and I will both have a pile of those. If you want a sticker, yes. come ask for a sticker. Please come. You could ask questions about, you know, this, and tell us what you think of the state of Star Trek is. So let's move on to the state of Star Trek in that Star Trek universe has been picking up some more award nominations this time for the Saturn Awards. And sometimes even competing against each other. Which has been happening more recently that happened last year. Discovery was going up against Picard last year. This year, Strange New Worlds did really well at the Saturn. So it got a total of four. Discovery got one and Lower Decks got one, which is its first Saturn nomination. Discovery usually does better at these. So Strange New Worlds is kind of stealing a little Discovery thunder. Discovery's won a Saturn award every year um, since it's been on. Doug Jones has been nominated every year, but not this year. So we don't get to see what crazy outfit Doug shows up in. <laughs> oh, that's a disappointment. Anson, um, Ethan Peck, and Jess Bush were all nominated for Saturn Awards. Uh, the Orville was also nominated. I was going to say, yeah. So it's like the Orville competing against Discovery, competing against Strange New Worlds. If you want to watch, the ceremony is going to be live streamed on Electric Now on October 25th. Now, another awards show happened last weekend, the Hollywood Critics Association. Strange New Worlds and Lower Decks were both up for nominations um, and lost out to other shows. But uh, Strange New Worlds was also being presented with something they call the Legacy Award. And Henry was there and he did this great speech. It was very short and sweet, but he, you know, he talked about honoring uh, Nichelle Nichols and Gene Roddenberry. And uh, he talked about how they pitched the show. And here's how he described it. He said, In our first pitch document that we sent to the network, we opened with a question asking, what if we just did Star Trek? And we used that as our headline. And this this article got a lot of buzz going online. It was, I noticed it was posted on like six subreddits. And it was at the top of the Star Trek, top of television. And uh, a lot of people were talking about that headline. I mean, Henry liked it. Henry retweeted it. Well, it was his quote. (laughs) <laughs> he said it obviously but some people thought we were trolling or something i i don't understand like there, there was a weird sub you know and this isn't a lot of people and, and i make fun of terry for focusing on the like fraction of people who have a negative reaction to something but because this was so widespread there was there's always some people going but hey what about this thing but just to be clear we weren't trolling we weren't gatekeeping he said it. We thought it was interesting. We don't think it's a slam on the other shows. This show was always built to be this. That doesn't mean he or we or anyone was, you know, had anything bad to say about the other shows. Yeah. So here's the thing. So people really, first of all, you have to add a little bit of context. So I felt like the rest of what he said is important, which he said every day in the writer's room, we try to imagine how would Gene Roddenberry and his team make the original series if they were doing it today. And he talked about visual effects and asking questions that are relevant to what's going on and approaching characters and telling stories about the future that give us hope that there will be a future like this to look forward to. So those all the right things. And I think people read that comment and they, a bunch of them saw it as a dig against the other shows. And then you have your two factions of people who think, good, I agree that the other shows are bad or how dare you. So we have all that going on. I think what he meant was the other shows have a certain spin, right? Like what if Picard was old? What if it was an animated comedy? What if we were doing something for kids? So you're looking at that and his concept is just basically taking trying to make Stranger Worlds as close to the original series, not necessarily with the callbacks, although, you know, I have issues with, I think they do too much of that. But the point was tone and different kinds of stories and genres, which the original series did. You go back and you look and we have silly and dramatic and comedic and and high concept and character pieces. So that's what he's trying to say. And people just went crazy pouncing all over this some that's the thing like that's the that we you always it's always important to say some oh there were a, a lot few, of people a who handful were, a lot of people were cheering him we're just like this is great love to hear it yes we love the show i saw a lot of that too the weird thing is 
like I didn't think much of it when when the article went up, and it was never a dig on the other shows. It's that they've got five shows, and this is the one they're styling the most like classic Star Trek. I like all the shows, so there you go. Yeah. Okay, so a little bit more about Strange New Worlds. There, Henry, while he was at the show, did an interview um, with TV Line and uh, talking a little bit about season two. And there's this interesting angle about what Kirk and Spock are obviously the most epic relationship and the finale was set in an alternate future. Season two will really be when Kirk and Spock meet for the first time. This great relationship will essentially be established and that's kind of a big deal. So Henry said that when they meet for the first time in season two, he said they will make a big moment of it. I sort of wish they would do the opposite. I just think it would be an interesting choice to have it not, to have the moment of them meeting not be such a big moment. Uh, yeah, I mean, we don't know, you know, it's hard to say because we don't know what he means by that. You know, is it going to be swelling music and they're going to look at each other longingly across the room? Well, yeah, I mean, that's what exactly is, what, how I'm <laughs> picturing it. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, I, I suspect that they will both see something in the other that they admire and feel compliment, you know, that is complimentary to each other. So, you know, Kirk admires Spock's logic and intelligence and Spock admires Kirk's leadership ability and intuition. That's how I bet it's going to look, you know, that they will, they will see. Yeah. That guy's pretty cool. You know, although Spock might not say that guy's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, I would, I, I there are so many options for this. You could put them in conflict. Like you could have them not, connect properly in their first meeting there's so many different things you can do so i'm certainly not going to judge something i haven't seen we'll see what they do with it there's also another comic-con interview that just came out with the cast talking and they talk more about how yeah you know they know this is a big deal this relationship and so they kind of play it up in that there were some other fun things in that way back when paul wesley was revealed as kirk um, you know, we joked about, you know, how did they possibly think that this was going to be kept secret? And they thought exactly the same thing. Yeah, like, honestly, like, the way they described it was exactly the way we described it. Like it's rush hour at the busiest corner in downtown Toronto. And you bring out a guy dressed like Captain Kirk and you think no one's going to say anything. So, <laughs> yeah, a famous, a famous guy. Right. You know, right. You know, you may not have heard of Paul Wesley, but he is well known. Oh, yeah. And yeah. and, you know, a lot of young people who watch the Vampire Diaries and CW shows are like, oh, my God, there's Paul Wesley dressed up as Star Trek. So the showrunners, when they decided to include Kirk, they called Anson Mount to reassure him, like, don't worry, it's still your show, whatever. And he was sort of laughing about it at the panel saying, like, I'm cool with it. Like he was super relaxed and chill and not worried. But it still sounds like there's a lot of Kirk in season two. It does, because I feel like even in his interview separately, Paul Wesley keeps saying, like, it's still the Pike show. So it sounds like there's a lot of Kirk, but don't worry, they're not removing Pike. They had a funny conversation, too, where um, Anson was talking about how he said Chris Pine in the first Star Trek movie nailed the Shatner walk to the captain's chair. And he said that he was so determined to do the same thing. And then his theory, cause he wanted to emulate that. So his theory was that Kirk learned that walk from Pike. So that's an interesting angle. I think, you know, maybe we'll see some Kirkisms in Anson. Because they're really Pikeisms. Exactly. That, 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 <laughs> that, that, that Kirk learned from the master. So maybe Kirk was the walking stack of books and Pike was the one who kind of, turned him around a little bit i mean the tricky thing of course is that in the original series kirk says that he's he met him once i think and that's it well the, the, obviously he didn't say the word once this is one of those things where your brain heard something but when you watch it again he didn't actually say that he kind of implied that you could have believed that but he did this is where they're dancing through the raindrops where they're like well he didn't say once so you know, he was really talking about the time when they handed over, but obviously they're going to see each other in multiple occasions yes. in season two and maybe season three and four and five. You know, we never know. So they're definitely playing around with that um, concept, obviously. Well, in the spirit of that, the actors all admitted that they all read Memory Alpha, 
which I love. Um, I'm on there every day, I'm sure. But they all read it to learn things about their characters and backstories, whether they're true or not. Like Celia said, I didn't know that Uhura was a long distance runner until I read that. And then it all and that made sense to me. So I'm glad they're they're exploring. There's so much. It's a lot of information for them to take in. But I, I love the idea of them all sitting there reading it. Yeah, Anson says that whenever a guest star comes on, he points them to memory alpha. I mean, the the interview this interview was done at the f- fandom is the company that owns memory alpha and you know, Wikipedia and all of the basically fandom wikis out there. So th- that's why memory alpha was kind of a uh, big topic at the, at the panel. They they had a big party in San Diego um, as well, which was co-sponsored by Paramount plus. So it's all connected. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> speaking of connected stuff, something interesting. So, okay. Uh, the you know, more I- IDW continues to churn out comic books this week. They wrapped up their mirror war, they're about to start their Picard tie-in, which, remind you, is set between seasons two and three, so that's kind of exciting. But they also announced an interesting tie-in coming in November tied to Star Trek Resurgence, a game that I mentioned. I talked to the guys in San Diego. I am excited about it. It's this kind of storytelling game. Like There's all those uh, Walking Dead storytelling games. Uh, it's the same guys behind that um, who moved to New Company. And their first game is going to be Star Trek. So it's called Star Trek Resurgence, set in the next generation. And there's a five-issue prequel comic book starting in November. And I think it's just great that there's a, you know, that there's tie-ins to games, which themselves are tie-ins. So it, it shows a kind of added layer of depth in the extended universe. And there's another game coming out this fall called Star Trek Prodigy Supernova. And there's going to be a book tied to that coming out in January from Simon and Schuster. Is that a new thing? Like, have they done that before where they tied books into games? Yeah. I mean, there was a book uh, when Star Trek Online launched over a decade ago. There was a book that kind of told the story of what happened between Nemesis and Star Trek Online to kind of get you up to speed because that was, you know, set decades later. But this is very rare. We've seen this more with Star Wars. There's a lot of tie-in material to Star Wars video games. Um, And so it kind of shows a more robustness, perhaps, with Star Trek merchandising that I'm impressed with. The Prodigy book is, uh, they're aiming at what they call a middle grade. So it's kind of for younger audiences. There's another uh, Prodigy novel, um, just a standard tie-in novel as well which is exciting uh, coming out in january it's called a dangerous trade also for younger audiences written by cassandra rose clark who is a new star trek writer she wrote one of the books that came out last year which was reviewed on the site um, and reviewed well so you know things are looking because we haven't seen a lot of stuff from simon and schuster this year they've been going through a lot of changes there's going to be a book come, a Picard book coming out next month, and there's a cookbook you're going to be reviewing. And so things are ramping up again with Simon and Schuster and Star Trek. So I'm and with IDW and Star Trek, they're starting this great 24th century Cisco led ongoing series um, in October. So things are really looking up for books and comics into 2023. Also, I'll tell you this about the cookbook. It's gorgeous. So we'll be doing an interview. I have an interview with the author, and which we'll do with do a review. But it's a gorgeous book, and this is a, written by a true Star Trek fan who is an expert on food. So it'll be a lot of fun. So it's time to switch to Terry. I think last you know, week the interview went well. I mean, uh, Jerry Ryan retweeted it. Uh, saw some other journalists retweeting it. So it got a lot of good reaction because Terry's open, you know, what's funny is he doesn't spoil anything, but yet you get just, I feel like he's giving people a real good sense of what's coming. And part two of this interview is even more of that. So I think you're going to enjoy this. Gates and Patrick did some interviews and they kept on using the word family. And it's just making me think, that there's something more to that word than the, oh, we're all just a family and we get along. Yeah, I've been thinking the same thing. I, again, it's hard to dance around the story 
I mean, it is a family story. I, I, I think I know what you're inferring, and I, I, I wouldn't run in that direction. I think, but it is, it is the story of a family coming together. You know, it, it, this is a tough thing to do, right? So, in the respect that I remember watching Force Awakens, and and uh, I found it really jarring that they weren't all hanging out still, <laughs> because I was used to the books, <laughs> and, and I was like, wait, Luke Skywalker's on an island, and Han and Leia had a divorce, and uh, God, they, their son is a Sith, and God, even R two D two's miserable and depressed and sleeping, um, <laughs> and it took a bit to get my mind a- around it all. I, that's not what's happening here, but I think the hard part for some fans will be, hey, the thing that I thought in my head was that the next gen cast gets together for Thanksgiving every year. That doesn't happen and hasn't happened. And why and how and and is that a good story? So your preconceptions over the last 20 years of novels and, and re-watching the series might send you in an expectation that's not quite where we go here. That's not to say you won't get those feelings again, certainly by the end, but there's going to be some surprises as to what they've been up to. You mentioned the novels, and I think you, we talked a little bit about the wharf aspect. Jordy is a character in the Una McCormick book, which is, predates you even being involved. And those were written under the auspices of Kirsten Beyer, and they were official tie-ins. Do you see the novel verse as, did that impact at all what you were doing on season three? We certainly talked about um, all those novels. You know, again, like look at Star Wars. I mean, Star Wars has a a whole other universe that they had to say, oh, well, that's not that. There was a while where that was canon, the, the Timothy Zahn novels. Um, and, you know, I think we look at whatever happens on screen to be a little bit more official, but we really try our best not to negate those ideas. Sometimes it's just going to happen. That's how, how it goes. <laughs> it's, it's, you, you, we don't, love to not unify the universe but it sometimes it's it's gonna happen all right well here's something that is a practical one that you can answer i think okay <laughs> you want to talk about anything which is where are you in terms of season three like in post where what what's the status oh i'm, I'm right at the end where it's visual effects and sound which is a really satisfying place to be because uh the end of this is quite big and it's the kind of thing I've always wanted to do and getting to see these visual effects and, and to say, you know, I want a little bit more of this. I want more of that is, is really satisfying. And musically, uh, I'm working with Stephen Barton, who was my composer for uh, 12 Monkeys and has done some like, Jedi Fallen Order and Apex. He's known one awards for all that. But hearing that music makes it feel like the Star Trek movie I, I always wanted to see. And here, it sounds like you're past edit lock and you've done ADR. And so now you're down into sound and visual effects and music. Yes. And color correction and that, that kind of stuff. All that, all that. Yes. The final, final. So you could be done by the end of this year. It sounds like with, you know, the t- 10 episodes in the can. Oh, I, I think it w- I'm probably done by early September. Will it, those will be in the canon ready to go. Even with all the visual effects. Even with all the visual effects. Wow. God. But we sh- have they said officially it's 2023? I think they have, but I can't remember. I, I don't know if they. It, it, I don't know if they have, but it's pretty clear that's where they're they're going with all that stuff. Is is you know everybody's like do this, do that. I'm like this is so far above my pay grade. Yeah. <laughs> would I love to see it out for the holidays? That uh, to me that would feel like an incredible holiday treat for everybody. For the you know, but. Uh, it, it is not up to me and um, I, I'm not sure exactly the date, but I, I think it's pretty clear they're, they're headed towards 2023. No, I, I want you to describe the final episode. No. Okay. So, but no, what I do want to, <laughs> uh, you okay. talked about it being this, a big movie. And, you know, as we know, every movie now is always thinking ahead to the next movie in a franchise. So, mm-hmm. When you were crafting this, how much of this did you either overtly or 
maybe subconsciously set up so that this isn't the end of the story and maybe set up how there could be more stories, maybe for particular characters, spinoffs, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Well, again, that, that, that sort of was the story. If you were going to do the last next generation movie, right, let's just start there. Cause that's where we started. You'd want to pass the torch, right? You it's the, it, they were called the next generation and now we're at the end of their generation. Right. So a thing you would want to see is the the next next generation. What <laughs> you know uh, of that world, and what does that mean? And how how do they look at these people? There is a scene I'll tell you in season three. It's one of my favorite scenes where you get to meet somebody who recognizes that Riker and Picard are legends, but they've also got a little bit of historic criticism about some of the way, some of the things that they have done and handled situations in the past. And when you hear it, you go, yeah, that's, I mean, it's the way that like, if you were to really talk in Starfleet about Captain Kirk, you know, he's a legend, probably the greatest captain that's ever lived. He's broken more rules and regulations than than any other captain and, and done things, you know, uh, mutiny, uh, uh, stealing an enterprise. Uh, so there's a fun way of the of, of the the old generation and the next generation interacting that is uh, satisfying to do. So, but of course, if you if you set up the next next generation, you want the feeling that this is going to go on that uh, that this can continue, and and that's also the case in the legacy characters. By the end of this, there are things you're going to say, "Gosh, I really want to watch this legacy character now. Do I want to watch them do this?" So I like an ending that promises more, promises like you can go on in your head. And it's not like they all blow up at the end and die. It's not to say that everybody's <laughs> walking out of this alive, but it's definitely could be a uh, passing of the torch to, for more. And if, if it happens, I would be there in a, in a minute. <laughs> yeah, I know you've <laughs> talked about how much you want to stay in Star Trek if that works out, if the field was like totally wide open, where would you want to play for another series? I would play almost immediately after what we do here. With some of these characters, some, but not all of these characters and new characters. It sounds like. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. He said, are there, are there one or two that you would see as the star of said show? Yes. And how tall are they? Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and how female are they? Yes, uh, yes. Yes, um, yeah, it, yes it's, uh, I, I know where you're going with that. The answer is yes and dot, dot, dot. Well, it, it's because Alex went out of his way at Comic-Con when people asked other questions to insert these little tidbits of, oh, well, we happen to be working on two other Star Trek shows mm-hmm. and they might happen to be female leads. But can you say or not say whether there's any active development for a post-Picard show? There's always discussions happening, but there's not currently, at least to my knowledge, uh, the next chapter of this world. But there are, you know, that does not mean that there's also not discussions. You know, the universe and Alex has a, has a, has a really hard job of of looking at everything and looking at the success of strange new worlds um, and and charting out the future. So I think the the people who can make anything happen are the Star Trek fans. That's they've been the case since the original series. So if there is something in this season that I want blank, it's going to be the fans that are going to to make that happen. I could tell you that there are some brilliant other Star Trek things in the works that aren't this, that I can't wait to watch, but they're different than this. So you kind of got to scream and tell them what, what you want on the menu. During Comic-Con, they said the reason why Strange New Worlds happens is people saw season two of Discovery. They glommed onto certain characters and a certain ship, and they said, we want more of that. And it happened, literally happened. Yes. And now we have Strange New Worlds. And yes. Let me say this. Are you guessing that the same thing will happen here? Not that it will result in a show, but there are certain characters, certain elements that people will go, yeah, I want more of that. I hope. Again, you never know. You you just, it, it's such a strange uh, industry. You never know what 
what people are going to to want. I hope and think yes, but again, it's it's sort of the life of a show where some things you think will work uh, work, and then some things don't. If I'm a betting man, I, I think so. Um, and then <laughs> and then you know it's it's sort of up to the television gods to decide from there. So in season two, obviously we had this Agnes Gerardi goes off, she becomes, she merges with the Borg Queen. And then there's this whole story that we, the viewers didn't get to see. So did you have a vision, an idea of how that all unfolded and then fits in with everything that we know about the Borg and the Delta Quadrant and everything else? Yes. You know, that's one of the hard things about television is you just can't fit in all the things you want. Uh, Again, I wasn't part of the the process at the end i do believe there was a draft in which gerardi explained where she'd been and just to clarify that gerardi is she's still an alternate version of the borg the borg we did not erase the timeline of the borg the idea was she is a product of an alternate timeline that sort of self-corrected was sort of a splinter in the timeline and, and still existed in that she was out there I think Chris Monfett wrote uh, a scene in which she explained she would rescue worlds that were dying and offer them a collective. There's, it's like a whole, I mean, you could do a whole novel uh, essentially on, on, on that idea and stayed out of history's way. I'm sure didn't have conflict with the real Borg or whatnot, just was out in portions of the galaxy. And I, and actually I remember there was a pitch in the room that her ship was actually made up of, other ships that were rescued that her big sort of board ship so you actually at one point even saw melded into it the old version alternate version of the la serena the the confederate looking la serena was, was part of it that was the idea and and there was there was i also remember there was a scene in which they told her story and that the real board were out there somewhere and they hadn't been heard of for over a decade um but that she was this other thing. But again, when you get to budget and time, for whatever reason, sometimes those those scenes go by the wayside. With time travel, right, there's sort of, I think, two main schools of thought. And one is like, you have to have all these rules, and you figure it all out, and you map out what everything means. And then you have what I would almost call the Janeway school of time travel, which is it all gives me a headache and I give up. Right. So, so what for you are the very essential elements when you're doing a time travel story like what's your take on how to do that the right way uh i think you have to have certainly enough of uh, of a logic uh, in the case of 12 monkeys we we would spell out as much as we can but there was also an element to the mythology that time would self-correct in ways um which is also a theory uh so it gave you some leeway and again, if the time travel made emotional sense, the, the audience was willing to go there. Uh, in the case of season two, I, I, I probably would have talked a lot more about the time travel, but that was that was my taste uh, and the rules of it all. And it wasn't everybody who was involved who didn't necessarily want to hear a dissertation on timelines uh, as much as I love that stuff. Uh, it, it's not for everyone. Let's just say, and I respect that. It's fair to say you were the only person in the writer's room who owns a DeLorean. I definitely was the only one. (laughs) Yes. The only one who owns a back to the future DeLorean. That was for sure. You know, the, it's weird how you were brought in for season two. They did a lot of time travel, maybe not your flavor. And then for your kind of signature season, season three, I believe you said this, or maybe I'll just ask you, no time travel? There's no time travel in season three. It is a a straightforward <laughs> narrative. Yeah, I, I can't I don't I can't even tell you quite the genre of it because it's such a surprise as it as the cards come out and we turn over the cards one by one as to the kind of season it is. I'm dying to say there's one there's one movie I could say it's blank and you'd be like, Oh but I can't I just well, I can't. <laughs> But you, you have it's not a Star Trek movie, not a Star Trek movie, just a sort of, yeah, go ahead. I think you've described submarine movies and stuff like that. So there is a war movie concept, I think, that you've discussed perhaps. And also you've referred to how the Dominion War um, has an impact or the fallout of the Dominion War. So is it fair to say that this is a 
a war movie or maybe a cold war movie season? Uh, yes. And yes. And no, and no, it's, um, when, when I say it's a, it's a sub movie, uh, I, I mean that we are, we spend our time on a ship that is an underdog against extreme pressure from external forces and help is not easily attainable let's just say and so it's up to i mean i guess it has a little bit of that Battlestar feeling too where there's an isolation uh, that doesn't mean they're isolated away from the alpha quadrant or anything there's just specific reasons that they are challenged specifically so but it, it is not a, it's not a war movie it, it is but it's also not not a war movie in the respect that there is some fallout of the dominion war that plays out for those of us who love the world building and politics aspect of star trek will we get a good sense of after the dominion war here's how things shook out with all the various players you know the romulans and the Ferengi and the dominion and the Cardassians and the Bajorans, like, you know, there was so much going on in Deep Space Nine. So when you th- mention Dominion War, people get excited because that's, you know, the, you know, the, that was such a big part of it. Yes, it's not it's not about the politics of worlds necessarily, for sure. It is about one particular aspect of that war. And oh, how do I just say this? The actions of two sides of that war and what the fallout is to that 20 years later there are people maybe that aren't okay with some things that happened oh man i, I gotta stop i gotta stop uh it's it's hard i, I can't tell you anything i can't <laughs> i want to i want to be like it's about this and it's about this and then warp is gonna do this and then you realize this but i can't no we get we get it we get it yeah You've given us the tease and, you know, we want to eat the rest of the meal, but uh, we also don't. These teasers are really hard because if I, when I say Dominion War, then I'll get, I'll get 10 tweets that are like, great, they're going to roll into Deep Space Nine. We're not, we can't afford to roll into Deep Space Nine. We're not going to get, well, they're going to have everybody back. They're going to, it's about Cisco. It's, oh, it's not about Cisco. Uh, I saw a thing about the Enterprise and Patrick. It's, yes, you're going to get. You're going to get everything you want for the holidays, but not all the things you want. You know what I mean? Not all the presents you asked Santa for are going to roll in, but you're, you're, going, to, you're going to get, you're going to get a bunch. You're not, you're not going to be disappointed. There's some stocking stuffers in there that will surprise you. <laughs> <laughs> well, and everyone wants, you know, their own stocking stuffers. Someone is obsessed with yeah. Cisco. Right. Someone That's, is obsessed with yes. so-and-so. And so I, I had, can't uh, give there everyone. Are, there are three. This is so funny. Stocking. There are three stocking stuffers that I wanted, and I, I got, I got them. All, well, I shouldn't say three. There's a lot more than that. But there were three specifically. I was like, I really would like to see these characters again that are outside of the legacy cast, um, and that uh, is was really satisfying. And sometimes you get a big dose of them. Sometimes you get just a tiny dose, but enough to be like, oh, I'm really glad I got to see that one more time you'll see there was one character i wanted to bring back that if you're a next gen fan you are infinitely aware of but when it came to the powers that be they were like what who is this character explain this to us why are we going to spend money to get this character and fly them in i'm like you just got to trust me (laughs) and it's a great way to if you know you know if you don't you'll be like oh that's intriguing but if you know who that character is, you're going to be like, okay, uh, we're deep diving into some next gen here. <laughs> but it'll still make sense. You oh, yeah. need to know that to, yep. to, to get it. No, I, it's look, there are, there are aspects of season three where it's like there are, you may not get, if you don't know certain parts of next gen, you're, that, that, that scene's not going to be for you. But, you know, we always try and give context, but I didn't really want to dumb it down. There were moments that like that one's for the fans. And if you're confused, you're welcome to Google that character later and you'll enjoy many episodes of, of greatness. You can go back and watch. How do you handle humor in season three? Because seasons one and two of Picard and season one had one episode where they tried, they swung hard and really didn't nail it on humor. And the show just that hasn't been a strong aspect of the show let's be honest nor was it really trying for that but it was a big part of both the 
series and the movies, the next gen movies. Yeah. And your beloved TOS uh, movies. Right. They're always they always knew when to land a joke. Right. You're gonna feel that here. That that um it uh yes, I know exactly what you're saying. And that comes from the characters. For instance, Riker is a blast this season. <laughs> and the season kicks off with Picard and Riker in a big way, in a kind of butch Sundance way. And <laughs> uh, that was something I felt w- w- was was missing. But y- when you have Frakes, who's hilarious, you want to write uh, towards his voice. And they're at a place in their life now where Riker can be looser. He's not, you know, he's not first officer to Picard anymore. Now he's an old friend with uh, with his own captainship uh, in his past. So the humor and the sarcasm sort of comes naturally. And then you have, you know, Riker and Worf haven't seen each other in a bit. They've seen each other a, bit, a lot more recently than some of the others. But uh, Worf, Worf's, Worf is, you know, he's a little little bit different when you meet him. And you have Riker as the voice of the audience going, what, what is this? And, and they're back and forth. And it, it, it's, it's really fun. Uh, I, but yeah, I hear you're going it, to, it, it'll feel a lot more like that. And there are some new characters. Nobody's, it's not shtick. It all comes from character. There's a one particular character that's a smart ass that uh, appears to, go, to be going to be a fan favorite from anyone who's seen it. Is like, my God, I want to watch that show. <laughs> it sounds like it has a lighter tone than the previous seasons. I, I wouldn't say, no, it, it's not, it's all different. Uh, it's not necessarily a lighter tone. It's, I find Bone, Spock, and Kirk to be, those scenes are hilarious when they argue about the Genesis project. I, I love that comes from character. Uh, you know, Bones is fantastic. So I think it, it's, it's, it's in the spirit, but it's not. No, it's not Star Trek Four. It's not a romp, but but it's not to say it doesn't. Those characters, what makes that work in Star Trek Four? And I'm not talking about the fish out of water stuff. I'm talking about their dynamic. Is it's great character. It's a Kirk who doesn't understand this new Spock who had, doesn't quite have um, the memories of who he was and is still sort of rediscovering himself. That that that's just fodder for great humor with character. And yes, this has that too. They even do that in Star Trek, the motion picture, like McCoy has all the comedy lines, Yeah, but it's all out of character. It's all from character, even right. though it's a serious movie. Yeah. In short, they drafted me. Yeah. It, it's that. Yeah. It's exactly the, spi- <laughs> the spirit of that. Yeah. Um, I was asking before about Comic-Con. So one of the big things about Comic-Con is, you know, you showed all the characters and everyone got a poster except for one character. Uh-huh. And, and, so you guys are going out of your way to create a mystery box about Brent Spiner. And, you know, I guess my question is why, like why, what, what, what's the big deal? Like we know he's in the season. Can you at least tell us that he's not, you didn't create another member of the Soong family. Uh, he plays Bartholomew Soong, uh, <laughs> who uh, is the least, he has nothing to do with robotics at all. He's just a guy. And he just hang he just hangs out. No, so Brent's character is specifically tied into the plot and the mythology in ways that if you were to show a poster, you would have a thousand more questions. And I think you're you you want to earn it. I, I I think you but he plays a, a new old character that you have seen and never seen before it, it's it's uh, we think a great way to do this that honors what has come before yet uh treads new ground but how long can you keep this going i mean <laughs> let's say the season starts well i you know next I, february I, I would love to um, I, I wish it had it wasn't so long that then i wouldn't have to um i i don't but know. there'll be there'll be trailers there'll be posters there'll be I, interviews I suspect- like you're going to get a hint of it, I'm sure, by the end of, of the year. You know, the other side of it is just, you know, be patient. Like, be wanting to know a thing. You know, it's it's okay. You don't need to know all the elements going in. Um, I can no, tell no, you. But, I, but will we know his character's name before the first episode airs is my question. 
Or, or will uh, you really uh, try to I, string I, this I, out all the way? I don't know if I'm trying to string it out. The, the answers to your question are better told in the context of story than to say, and now everybody, here's a link. <laughs> to uh, uh, who this character is. It, you know what I mean? Like, as plays out, um, for those who have seen the season, they're like, I'm really glad I learned it this way and not the other way. Well, at least I'm getting a sense of why he didn't get a poster. So it wasn't just yes. arbitrary. It, 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 no. It really is. It sounds like there's a really good reason why there's no Brent Spiner poster. Uh, yes. Yes, there, or there is. is one, but you haven't rolled it out yet. No, uh, there, there. Uh, well, I, I, they did, they did, obviously photograph this character. Uh, I think mm-hmm. it's because if you see and and got a name, it, 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 there's too many questions uh, tied to, <laughs> hey, okay, so who is that now? And whereas as it unfolds even as it's unfolding and you're introduced to this character, you're not quite sure. And then as you learn more about this character, you, you understand that the answer is not so clear. I, I, that's all I can say. The answer is not so clear for a bit, <laughs> an, a, a, a bit, but yes. So you did a lot of commentary and let me just get this straight out there after Comic-Con. So do you feel like, because you know, there was a lot of interviews and stuff from the stage, and do you feel like you've cleared up everything you want to clear up from Comic Con, or is there anything else you want to get off your chest that you know uh, some questions out there? No, I, I actually I, I think there was the right level of I mean the most satisfying thing was Gates talking about how happy she was with her character because that makes me happy um, uh, to know that she was she got her due. So, yeah, so no, otherwise it was a pretty terrific little tiny tease. Again, it's just a little tease where you see people. Again, it, it, I, there's things that I would never expect, which is there was a debate online about Worf having white hair and how can he age like a Klingon. I was like, he looks amazing. What are you he talking about? He looks amazing. He looks yeah. better than these people who are commenting will ever look in their lives as a Klingon. Um, and, I, and and people, you know, Stephen. Martin had white hair when he was 29. I don't know that. <laughs> and by the way, it, the rest of them, he just doesn't have a wrinkle on that guy. And that's Michael Dorn. Michael Dorn looks better than yeah, the he, rest of us. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, this is the thing about you and I think some of the other writers, you know, the, the Twitter isn't the real world. Like all the bullshit about the shiny floors and David Blass. And it's like you're listening to the wrong people. So I always want to say this to you, Terry. Like, stop listening to these people there's like two people uh, i i really <laughs> i do i really i i really do and I, i've gotten a lot a lot better at it at first i like the audacity of for me i would never let's just say and i'm i, I, I wasn't happy with a with a star wars show I'd never send a tweet out to somebody who made it saying blah, 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 blah. i'm like what kind of, like what is wrong with you that you think that that's okay that's not to say those people or myself are not entitled to criticism absolutely i'm not saying that at all there's just a manner in which it's going like that's you're you're really gonna tell me on that poster that michael Dorn doesn't look amazing like I have to jump in because I feel so strongly that you're just dead wrong and I don't know what to say, <laughs> you know, and, and sending pictures of other Klingons from other episodes. I'm like, he can have white hair. It doesn't mean he <laughs> aged. He just looks awesome. Anyway, it's hard to, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a strange thing. I'm, I've gotten, I think I've gotten just better at it now, mostly because those criticisms get washed away by so many people being like, he looks amazing. So when you have, when 90% of it is positive and the 10% of it is somebody arguing about how you fucked up canon, you know, (laughs) then I think you're probably okay. Even though I know you're obsessing about the 10%. I do. You know, I do. (laughs) Well, I take it to heart. Again, there was a YouTube video where they posted my tweets and bits of interview on with valid criticism for sure, but also without the understanding of how things work for, you know, there was one thing about the eugenics war in the 1990s and why we might change uh, the time period of that and how we're fools, the end for doing that. We don't know Star Trek. 
if you don't think that that was a corporate question that goes up much higher than writers in the writer's room, again, it, it goes to show you the people don't know how television or franchise like, franchises like this work. It's not up to us to say some of these things. If, if the corporation is like, we want right. to feel like the Star Trek universe is our future so that people have hope, then that means you're probably not... If you went back in time to the 1990s in that show, you're not necessarily doing the eugenics wars. Would I like to do a Star Trek where you saw the 1990s and you saw the eugenic wars? I would do it in a minute, a heartbeat. I would do it all day long. It's not up to us. It's a surprise to some that decisions made in Marvel and Star Wars and Star Trek aren't always up to the writer in the room. Down to what a uniform may look like all the way up to giant canon changing ideas. There's a lot of, a lot of fingers in, uh, there's a lot of cooks in that kitchen. It's hard. It's really hard, but yeah, I take it. I do take it to heart because I'm, I am those guys. There's, there is a part of me that absolutely sympathizes with things like that, but I get it when you love something again, it's always indicative of, Hate comes from love in some way, right? So right. there is, if you can look past the really angry stuff, it, it stems from I loved a thing and I, I feel heartbroken by it. And, and that's legit. And I feel those things too about aspects of, of many franchises. So let, let me wrap up putting this all together in a, in a weird way because there's someone we haven't talked enough about. The first two seasons... Jean-Luc Picard was going through a lot of things. And, you know, some of the stuff you see on Twitter is there's not enough of the hope and the the optimism and the just kind of beautiful, inspirational Picard that we saw in The Next Generation. But he's really gone through so much of putting his past behind him in these first two seasons of Picard. And Alex said at the, you know, we couldn't do the season before. So is Picard different in season two as a man or slash robot? Um, you in know, season three? In season three. Like, how have these two seasons of experiences changed him as a man slash robot? Yeah, I, I mean, the robot thing is a little surprising because I... Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I was I, joking about that. No, no, I, I, but it's a thing. People are like, oh, you killed him, you turned into a robot. He's, I don't know. To me, it's it's a classic AI story of... Uh, it's a classic science fiction story of a consciousness that's uploaded into a human-like bar. If you can't, I, I don't know that it's the choice I necessarily would have made uh, to do with that character, but it, he's essentially he's the, the same man. We and we touch on that because we we uh, there's a character who who brings that up, and we we talk because they right, rightfully would right um, bring yeah. it up. But it, to me, that that doesn't necessarily that doesn't change the character as much as I think. Maybe some hardcores would would feel it would, but but I understand. I get it. Um, he is different, and you don't need to have seen seasons one and two to appreciate season three. There there are a couple of threads that would be helpful for you to know, but we quickly can catch up to speed. But not not nothing nothing um, integral to it. I think season two specifically gave you a glimpse into his childhood and to maybe why he might have kept people at a distance. Um, he that there was an, there was some part of him emotionally that was blocking out uh, a more intimate relationship, and that is his past relationship with his father is is referenced in in, in season three. I I don't think you could have done this season without doing a version of seasons one and two. Um, I think the fact that season one was this sort of singular Picard journey was really was really interesting and a deep dive into sort of the PTSD of losing data and his and his friend and and sort of a, a, an isolation a loneliness him on that chateau in that chateau just sort of waiting to die was a really interesting way to pick up a character and, and unexpected from from what we saw um, I, again I wasn't in part of season one but. I thought that pilot episode was was really interesting in that way. So this this Picard is probably closer to now that he's gone through seasons one and two, probably a bit closer to where we left off in Next Generation. 
but older and wiser and you know sort of in the in the, the latter years of his life looking back and trying to understand how to look forward and look for those things that uh, that are legacy that are our family um, and um, the most important aspects of your life that aren't related to your job essentially but at the same time you're going to see him do the job again which is cool <laughs> can i just ask one other question that isn't about story so you don't have to you won't have to do any dances yeah <laughs> of course so you know star trek fans are always so interested in in how the sausage is made in the history of creating it we have documentaries about the show books about making it from original series on and i remember when i was doing the post show for discovery and i was asking those producers like are you cataloging everything? Are you saving your pictures, your notes, the stories of what happened? Because this does become part of our history. So are you on Picard, are you saving the notes, the discussions, the photos, things like that for, I guess, for posterity and for the Star Trek historians who tell this story later? Well, certainly email helps you with that now. Because everything, at some almost every aspect of uh, a success or failure of, of making the show has been emailed about. So all you have to do is go back, I, I, you know, and and say, let me go back two years and look at what was happening on this date and this date, and you can pretty much catalog the making of aspect of it. Certainly, there's a ton of photos. I, you know, I was on set. I, I wasn't on set for season two, but I was for for season three. So there's many rehearsals and aspects of that that we documented. And, um, you know, I think Frakes and I, we were going to do it at this most recent Vegas convention, but, but uh, I thought maybe it might be too early. We we're going to do a panel talking about the making of. So there, there'll be lots of, lots of post talk about, about it all. But there's so many things you can't talk about right now um, until it's out. Can you say your roster of directors? I know you directed one episode, but uh, two is it? Uh, we do blocks, so each director does two episodes. R r yeah, yeah. So the other four, you know, are, did you bring in new people or some of the same people that? Yeah, you're I, using I think on... I can spoil these. Uh, so the first two are uh, are Doug Aronakoski, who is uh, was a producing director on, on the show, who's fantastic. I will say there is a pretty remarkable the next block of episodes is directed by jonathan frakes and i think it's the best the best thing he's ever done everyone who sees one of those episodes is um, absolutely in tears by the end um the next block is dan Liu, and then uh, deborah campmeyer is the is another two-hour uh Block, who is extraordinary, visionary director. And then I close it out. I do the last two-hour movie. I wish you could see the big grin on my face right now, especially when you're talking about the Freaks episodes. Oh, my God. I'm yeah. so excited. Yeah. I, I'm just imagining how, for you, you must have been both fanboy, you know, squeeing and utterly terrified for the month that you were prepping and shooting that uh, for those that final episodes or two months I guess you know the fanboy part really goes away quick when when terror takes over uh and just <laughs> and uh no for real like there there was um a couple of legendary like unbelievable moments that you really don't have the time you take about three seconds and you take it you're like wow if I could tell my 10 year old self where I am right now or wow if I could do this or if I could tell you this the the I've got to get up and I need to go tell Picard and Worf and Riker to do a thing. I never thought I would be the person to do that um, or worthy of that or deserving of that in any way. But that goes away just because you have, you have a limited amount of time. You know, you got 12 hours on that set to do way too much because we're the season three is very, very ambitious because of how we wanted it to be a movie. So we were doing more, uh, in a day than we would on any other season of the show, uh, which meant you are running and quick to the punch of like, we've got to do this, this, and this and go. Nope, no, that's not quite the scene. Let's get to the bottom of what this not making the scene work. Uh, powwow with the actors and go and shoot. And so that was it. So you don't really have a lot of time. I, I am the most fanboy at uh, in the cuts. 
when the music is all there and then i i'm not seeing uh, the choices I could have made on the day. I'm not. I'm not seeing Lavar, Michael Brent, or or, or or any of the. I'm. I'm literally seeing the cast of Next Gen. You know those characters, uh, and that's that's the fanboy part. I can't wait to fanboy out over it myself. Yeah, same. Well, you know what? This has been maybe our best and most fun interview ever. I appreciate that. Yeah, I was going to say, I cannot thank you enough. Like, this is extraordinary. Oh, it's my pleasure. All right. So that was part two of our interview with Terry. I was so happy to hear about the block of episodes being directed by Jonathan Frakes and how excited he was about those. I mean, that must have been incredible time on the set. And I just, I, overall, I just love how passionate and enthusiastic he is. It's part of his downfall, which is why he's watching YouTube videos telling him what's wrong with the show, but <laughs> which he really should stop doing for his own sanity. But just the fact that he's so, he's, he's like one of us, but he's making the show is what it feels like. And it definitely sounds like he is so ready and he has built this around the idea of the next show whatever the next show is yes and you can tell he's so excited about people seeing it like i feel bad for him that he has to wait until next year because i feel like he's ready for this thing to just roll out yeah yeah and, and it sounds like it literally will be ready by the way do you have a better sense of what's going on with brent spiner i you know it's like we talked about it for quite a bit i still don't know what's going on yeah i have no idea <laughs> i don't know i mean i i get but i get that it's important to them that they you know make it as a reveal so that it you know it has more impact but uh it's it's a curiosity that's for sure <laughs> well let's just hope it happens early in the season that's my hope <laughs> yeah. you know if that's the case then don't send him on the press junket yeah what's he supposed to say make... yeah he'll just be clever and <laughs> you know throw some jokes out there sing a song yeah a little dance i mean that might that might be fun sure that might be fun. So <laughs> see now i made set, it fun send... Send Brent out and he'll, you know, as comic relief at the at the junket. OK, <laughs> we should wrap things up because this is already epically long. And so I guess we should do our bits of the week in honor of Terry uh, being a huge fan of time travel. Mine is temporal related um, in Bloomington, Indiana, the future birthplace of Catherine Janeway. There is actually a statue of her that went up in recent years. and. Kate Mulgrew uh, is going to be visiting this year in the fall in October. And someone wrote a letter to the editor <laughs> um, of the local paper there. And the title of the letter was, should we be concerned about the Janeway visit? And this is written for, I mean, it's obviously a joke, but someone said that her visit is a violation of the temporal prime directive, you know, that she shouldn't be visiting the statue of her in the past. And what's great is Kate Mulgrew jumped in and posted a, an image of this letter to the editor and said, she, I solemnly promise not to cause any temporal anomalies when I visit my statue in Bloomington this October. Because she doesn't want to get a headache. That always gives her a headache. <laughs> A fun little real world slash uh, Star Trek world thing happening. I love it. Okay, what's your thing for the week? Mine, I'm going way back into the past, but I've been listening a lot to Enterprise Incidents, um, which is the with Scott and Steve, deep dive into original series. They're going through every episode one at a time. They've had director Ralph Sinensky on. They've had people who are involved in the show, which is, as we were saying earlier, is harder to find. So for the Tholian web, they had Judy Burns, who co-wrote the show the script and she was on set for a lot of it and she told this story which i found a little bit of it sort of hinted in the 50-year mission mark altman's book but this is what she said she said that when harv bennett went through all the star treks to learn about it because he was working on wrath of khan and he wasn't really familiar with star trek she had worked with him a bunch so he called her in and he asked her if she wanted to rewrite it and she didn't but she gave him detailed notes lots and lots of notes and the biggest thing that she said about the wrath of khan was why is kirk on the bridge when spock dies she said you're missing the one shot that everybody in the whole world wants to see and her big note was put him there at the glass with spock so that they're bonding at the very end and it was also important she thought that mccoy was there which he was and scotty and so 
that is maybe one of the most significant moments in all of Star Trek. <laughs> you know, so that detail I did not know before. I don't know how many people knew that before, that she was the one specifically who put those two together. Um, and then when they asked her why she turned down the movie, she said, well, he also offered her a show, which was The Powers of Matthew Starr. And she went off to do that. So I've read some things saying she's thanked in the end credits. I looked at them and I didn't see her, but I'm guessing there might be versions where she's thanked. Yeah, I think I, I love, you know, the, that so many years later, we're still learning things about this movie. It's an interesting question for Nick Meyer. I guess I'd like to know the timing of this. So you know, were her notes, because there were so many versions of that script, were her notes after Nick Meyer did his rewrite full rewrite of the script because you know, Spock's death was in many versions of the script. Right. Um, I'm curious if she got to it before Nick got to it. Cause we, you know, would Nick Meyer have not noticed the same thing? Yeah, I guess. No, I think that's a great point. question. I mean, I also just recommend listening to that episode just to hear, cause she talks a lot about the, you know, that shows very, uh, that episode is very character focused. So, but I love that that came from her. I thought that was such a cool, fun tidbit. Thank you, Judy. Yeah. Anyway, just uh, reminding everybody for next week, we are all going to be in Vegas. So our podcast is just a review of Lower Deck uh, season premiere, season three. We have Matt joining us to do that, but there's no news and nothing else. So it's a little, it's a short one because we're all um, drinking and nerding out, basically, I guess. And we'll be back after Vegas with the roundup and episode two of Lower Deck Season 3. See you then. Goodbye.